I'll be reading Luke 5, 1 through 5. On, a, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked, to him, he, asked to, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Good morning. I want to thank Ray for mentioning uh, Charlie joining us tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, and I also want to thank him for giving me an ironclad excuse for looking unprepared today. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that, Ray. Uh, in fact, we had earlier this week, or I think it was last week, I talked to Tucker Presley, uh, explained to him the situation, and he is ready to go. So if I run out of here at any second, Tucker is ready <laughs> uh, to preach to you guys this morning, uh, but while I've got a chance, speaking of Tucker, I wanted to make sure uh, that I let everyone know just how great of a job our interns are doing. That includes Tucker and Kristen with the youth, and also Khalil and Olivia, and next semester, uh, Jesse Horn will be working with the college group. Uh, these young people, you don't see most of the work that they do. I know it's hard to see them unless they're given an opportunity to get in front of everyone, but they do so much work. They work so hard balancing their school and the responsibilities here at this church. So I wanted to make sure we took an opportunity to say uh, just how thankful we are for those guys and the work that they do. Uh, but speaking of excuses, I think of all the common shortcomings uh, that are usually confessed to by Christians, I think we would all here today confess that we probably don't read our Bibles enough, right? Whether we read them every night or whether we read them uh, once a week or whether we read them less frequently, I think we all agree that we could probably do a little bit better reading our Bibles. And for the most part, I think we feel like we should read our Bibles more, but maybe we don't necessarily feel like we can read our Bibles more. Maybe that's because of time constraints, how busy we might be uh, throughout the day. A lot of us are extremely busy, not only during the day, but at night and on the weekends as well. And it's hard to try to find time when you finally get a minute to sit down, most of the time you probably just go straight to sleep uh, with a little time of relaxing that you do have. But even when we do read our Bibles, I'm afraid that a lot of times we're unsure whether or not that's really been productive. And I think that's a big obstacle that leads to us not reading our Bibles because we're thinking, well, I don't, it's hard to read. I don't really understand a lot of it. I don't know where to start. I don't know how much to read in one sitting. I don't know if I should take notes. I don't know if I should just... Uh, read it and maybe try to take notes later. We, we get confused maybe on how to read scripture in and of itself, but that is a question that's not only asked now. The question of how to read the Bible has been a question that humanity has struggled with, has wrestled with since the Bible first came on the scene. And when you understand what the Bible claims to be, it says it is the word of God, which we will discuss at length this morning. But it says it is the actual word of God. So people, whether they believe in scripture or not, have often wrestled with, well, what do we do with a book that says God wrote it? Because we know what to do with a book that people have written. We know exactly what to do with those types of books. But what exactly should we do with a book that says God, in fact, is the author? And that's a question that's not necessarily easy and simple to answer in some regards. But I think we're guilty of maybe considering the Bible and thinking about the Bible 
a little bit wrongly before we ever even sit down to read it. You know, I think sometimes we treat the Bible just in certain aspects of its nature, not in the entire nature of the Bible. Sometimes I'm afraid we're guilty of dusting off our Bibles only for a worship or a class, or maybe we only dust it off whenever something's going wrong and we need some type of encouragement, or maybe we only dust it off whenever we have a question about our faith, and so we treat it as kind of like a reference work, like a dictionary, to try to find, okay, well, why do I do this again? How is this defined again? And while those are certainly aspects of what Scripture is, when we reduce the Bible to some type of reference work, only for a class or only for a worship setting or only for when things are going wrong or when we need an answer, then I think we limit the scope of the Bible. This morning, I want us to consider the fact that we can renew a deep sense of excitement about reading our Bibles. We can renew a zeal for God's Word that will motivate us to want to read it. Even if we read it every moment of every day, it would motivate us to want to read it even more, and the way we renew that type of understanding is by reminding ourselves, by convicting ourselves again of the source of Scripture and of the purpose of Scripture. And if we remind ourselves, if we renew our conviction in those two things, I want to present to you this morning that our habits of reading Scripture can be transformed. In the first place, I want to talk about renewing our conviction of God's character. When we renew our conviction in God's character, we will remind ourselves that Scripture in and of itself is incredible. I'm afraid that the access maybe that we have to the Bible makes it a little maybe pedestrian in our minds. When we think of the Bible, we just think of that book that tells us what we're supposed to do. And we kind of leave out the source of Scripture. And a lot of times, words are only as deemed as important or interesting as their source, right? You might see a quote, and that quote might not mean that much to you until you see the name at the end of that quote. And a lot of times that's, for some reason, Abraham Lincoln. If Abraham Lincoln's attached to anything, people will quote it for some reason. Uh, he was a great man, but anything he said is taken as a great quote because of who he was. The source influences what we think about the words, and a lot of times if it says, you know, um, unknown or anonymous or some name that we don't care too much for, we don't really listen that much to that. So if you're an Auburn fan, any Bear Bryant quotes, you probably immediately are just going to dismiss by way of the speaker in the quote. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing because we tend to listen to the people upon whom we bestow the greater honor, right? So when we think of scripture then, what happens when we apply that kind of thinking to scripture? When we think of the author, the ultimate author, and of course the Bible is written by several men over the period of several hundred years, but the ultimate author behind the Bible, as you and I both know, is God himself. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, you already know, all scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God himself. Likewise, in Second Peter, the writer says that holy men of God spoke as they were carried along through the Holy Spirit, not through their own interpretation. So I'm taking it for granted this morning that we all already understand the fact that God himself is the author of the Bible that he inspired those men to write through his spirit the things that still speak to us today. But how does that change the way we read the Bible? Does that really change the way that we approach the words in Scripture? And I'm convicted this morning that if we understand just a few points of God's basic nature, that Scripture can take on a brand new meaning to us every single time that we sit down to read it. Now, obviously... God's nature is an infinitely vast topic that we cannot hope 
to completely cover this morning, but I want to present just four aspects of the nature of God that can lead us to a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation for the Bible. And the first one is that God is infinitely powerful. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We want to read from verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And amen. The first thing we need to understand about God is that he is infinitely powerful. He is so far beyond all of our comprehension that we cannot begin to even understand the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the nature of the God. God is not just powerful. Bible will not, the Bible will not teach you that God is simply powerful. God is the substance of everything that we consider to be powerful. God doesn't find meaning for his name in the word power. The word power finds its definition in the substance of God himself. So everything that we associate even with power and ability only finds meaning in the power and ability of God himself. He alone is above all. He alone reflects the substance of power. But not only power, wisdom. If you go to Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27, you'll find that God alone, God alone is wise. And you can read from 1 Corinthians, especially in chapter 1, that God makes even the wisest of this world look foolish. God can take the highest achievement of human wisdom, and in his wisdom, his infinite wisdom, he makes our wisdom look foolish. So again, the God who inspired the Bible is the substance of power, He's not just powerful, he is the end, he is the perfection, he is the substance of what power is, but that same is true for wisdom. God is not just wise, he is the full embodiment of wisdom. He's not like a man to where we can grow in wisdom, but our wisdom is finite, and our wisdom is characterized by something else, by maybe the pool of knowledge that we're trying to get to. God himself reflects all that is truly wisdom. So God is infinitely wise, and God is infinitely powerful, and God is infinitely above all else. But God is also infinitely holy and good. Go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So again, on this fourth and final point, we're going to notice that God is not just, he's not holy like we are holy. He is the substance of all that is light and all that is good. The only reason we have any kind of concept of what is good is because of the nature of God. If you take away God, we take away all real and true definition of what makes a thing good or what makes a thing bad. God in and of himself embodies all that there is to be represented by holiness because it is his substance. So, what do these things have anything to do with our study of the Bible. You know, I thought we were going to talk about Scripture this morning while all of a sudden we're just talking about the nature of God. These, in fact, are things that I already knew before I walked in here. So why are we talking about the nature of God? It's simply because of this. The most powerful, the most holy, and the most wise being in all of existence decided to communicate to you 
through this word that you probably have in your lap this morning, think about the significance of that statement for just a moment. The all-powerful God, the creator of the heavens and earth, who is infinitely wise, who is, he can do whatever he wants. He is not restricted by anything other than his own holy nature. He could have communicated to me and you this morning in any way that we could possibly imagine, in many ways that we cannot, because he is beyond our imagination. And he chose to speak to every single last one of us here today through his word. Is the Bible not incredible? Just in its very nature, before we even sit down on maybe a, an evening to decide to read and decide, well, I'm only going to be as moved by this as it is powerful, the source of Scripture itself, does it not make Scripture something that is so amazing that we have the opportunity to access? Do we truly believe that the Bible comes from this type of source? And I believe that if we actually are convicted of that, you're not going to just treat the Bible like any other book. You're not going to sit down and just as you might try to read some other type of book to, to make you better, some type of self-help self book or some type of thing that might make you smarter, we will not treat the Bible just like that and kind of pigeonhole it to where it is just like any other book that we might try to read and therefore find ourselves so many times lacking to read it. We can't find the reason to read it. We can't find the motivation to read it. The Bible gets crowded out because other things are just flat out more important, right? I've got this to prepare for for tomorrow. I have this I have to worry about. I've got to make sure these things are all done. And by the time all that's done, I'm too exhausted to sit down. And I can't make any time to read the word. If we truly understand the Bible is coming from that type of source, why would we ever go a week without reading? Or why would we ever even go a day? You see, I believe that our attitudes towards Scripture that usually come to light by the amount of time we spend reading Scripture, I'm convicted that those things oftentimes reveal just how convicted we are that God actually lives and that God actually is who He says He is. Because if we truly believe that this is the type of God that has authored the Bible, would it not be anything short of insanity to not make sure that this word is dwelling within us? Would it not make sense that even if we read this book in every moment of our waking hours, we would still want to read more of it? Now this morning, I'm not going to give us a list and say, well, we have to spend X amount of time reading our Bibles, because no matter how much time we spend reading it, I think we should always desire to read it more because of the nature of the Bible itself. Certainly a renewal of our conviction in God will renew our excitement to read God's Word. But also, renewing our conviction of God's character will remind us to respect its teachings. As we said a moment ago, the name at the end of the quote, obviously, or a lot of times, has a lot to do with whether or not we're going to follow the words within that quote. And I want to give you two examples of how we can treat Scripture this morning. Two basic attitudes. The first comes from King Jehoiachin in Jeremiah 36. So if you want to turn over there, Jeremiah 36. We have this scene... And at first, it looks like a beautiful scene. You have the king of Israel, he's sitting down, and he's having the words of Jeremiah read to him by his secretary. He's reading the words of God to the king at night, sitting in his palace in the winter months. He's sitting by the fire pot, as it's called here, staying warm, reading his Bible, right? That's not what's going on. Let's read verse 23. 
as Jehudi would read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Let me give you a little context here. Jeremiah has written a scroll through his helper Baruch, who's taken this scroll to the king, and it's full of warnings about what's going to happen to Jerusalem if they don't turn and repent, and the king really doesn't want to hear any of that. So as it is read in his hearing, I'm sure very sarcastically, well, you go ahead and you let him read that. And as he reads it, the king takes it, cuts it out, tosses it in the fire, simply to say that he is completely ignoring and disregarding everything that the Word of God has to say. Now, I don't think any of us here today will be quite so bold as to sit down at night and instead of reading our Bible say, well, you know what, I don't want to read this, rip it out, throw it in the fire. I don't think we're necessarily that uh, rebellious in our disregard of Scripture, but I do wonder in what ways we are guilty of rejecting the Word of God. In what ways are we guilty of rejecting and ignoring God's Word? Because you see, ultimately, that's Jehoiachin's problem here. You know, I wonder if when we come together, we have about three hours a week that we've dedicated to read the Bible together. And I wonder if we're not reading our Bibles outside of that, then when we come in here, the very short amount of time, the 20-ish, 25 minutes-ish tonight, or this morning, and the 20 to 25 minutes-ish that we will have again tonight, and maybe the 30 minutes we had a moment ago, and maybe the 45 minutes you'll have Wednesday night, when we do come together in that time to read our Bibles, how much do we actually find ourselves focusing in and being able to pay attention for? How often do we, at the word of God himself, not just the word of a teacher, but the word of a teacher who is literally reading the words of God himself, how often do we completely act disinterested? How often are we just on our phones, checking on what's been going on in the world? How often are we totally tuned out, thinking about what we got to do next? How often do we reject God's word by ignoring it when it's being read to us? And I wonder how often we reject God's word by ignoring certain commandments that we disagree with. Certain things that we don't really want to hear, certain things that we don't really want to do. How often do we reject God's word, the word that comes from that ultimately holy source that we talked about a moment ago? How do we ignore that by just ignoring certain commands and doctrines that we just don't really want to follow? Ignoring God's word in any of those ways can reveal not just a problem with our reading of the Bible, but a lack of conviction in God himself. That is not a conviction that Peter lacked. If you want to go back to Luke chapter 5, you'll see exactly what Luke did. The scene here, Luke is a fisherman, by the way. He's been a fisherman his whole life. His dad was a fisherman. Peter's out there fishing, and Jesus comes to get in the boat with him. He's trying to kind of get away from the crowds, and he gets in the boat with Peter. And they're out there in the ocean, or out there in the sea. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, let down your nets on this side of the boat. Now, Peter, as a professional fisherman, I imagine is thinking something to the tune of, okay, I know Jesus is a rabbi. He might even be the Messiah, but he's not a fisherman, right? I'm a fisherman, and I've been fishing all night, and I've caught nothing. And I've got to imagine that Peter has tried every trick that he has learned throughout his career of fishing, and nothing's worked. And so Peter, very well, I, I imagine that Peter would not have dropped those nets at the word of just about anyone else, maybe his own father, if his own father had told him to do it, he probably would have done it, 
But I'm convinced that anybody else who just happened to hop in that boat that wasn't a fisherman and said, hey, let out your nets on this side, imagine Peter would think, don't you think I've already tried that? Don't you think I know what I'm a fisherman for crying out loud? Don't you think I know what I'm doing? At anybody else's word, I would imagine Peter would not have dropped the nets. But you'll notice that Peter says, we have fished all night, we haven't caught anything, but at your word, I will drop the nets. Not at anybody else's. Anybody else tells me to do that, I'm not doing it because it doesn't make any sense. But God, when Jesus himself tells me to drop these nets, I don't care if I fished all night and have caught nothing, I'm going to drop them right where he tells me to drop them. And you see the result of doing such a thing. Peter's pride probably told him not to drop the nets. His experience probably told him not to drop the nets. Even his own common sense probably told him not to drop the nets. But you know who did? The Son of God. And so that's what he did. You know, I'm not much of a reader. I don't want to read. But at God's word, I will. You know, I'm not really one for patience and uh, I... You don't, you don't cross me, but if God says forgive and be patient, I will forgive and I will be patient. How many things can we insert into that? I don't really want to do these things. I'm not really, I don't really find this to be the natural response in my own experience and what common sense has taught me. Maybe this is not what I want to do. But if God says it at his word and at his word alone, I'll do it. If we believe that God is the source of scripture, we'll have that same attitude that Peter had. And finally, I want to present in these closing moments that we have that renewing our conviction in God's purpose for Scripture will remind us that we are, in fact, incomplete without God's Word. Let's go back to 2 Timothy. We mentioned it a moment ago. Let's turn back over there and look in chapter 3 and let's get a little bit more about not only the source of Scripture, but what Scripture is able to do, its purpose. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And if you want to read back in verse 15, you'll find out that scripture is able to make us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. You see, without scripture, every last one of us is woefully incomplete. We cannot find the joys and the peace that come in Christ Jesus himself. We cannot find that without Scripture. So as much as we are willing to interact with Scripture, as much as we are willing to let it soak in and really change who we are, not just to learn it as a bunch of facts that are just kind of disconnected and maybe trivia and so we can stand up and argue with somebody about something we don't want to agree with them on, when we look at it as more than just a reference work, and we look at it as something that is able to complete our entire existence as a person, that has, what else can it do than to make you excited to read it? What else can it do to make us, just as you wouldn't go several days without eating food, and I know it's a tired old cliche, but just as you wouldn't go so many days without eating food because you literally can't be complete and sustained without the food, why don't we view God's word that way? Why don't we think of this as this is able to complete who I am? It helps me to be wise to my salvation in Jesus Christ. It helps me to get to know more that infinite and amazing God. Why on earth would I neglect to read it? That's not hurting anyone but myself. 
No, none of us would be here today if these things were not true. We would not be here if Scripture did not lead us in these ways and specifically lead us, as Paul mentions there to Timothy, to our salvation in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's something that you here today do not have. And if you know who this God is, and if you know what he has done for you, then I'm assuming that you already know that his son has bled and died, as Keith talked about a moment ago, so that we could have eternal life. God sent his son because he so much loved all of us that whoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. Life And Paul tells us time and time again that the way that we come into contact with that healing power of Christ, the way that relationship is begun, is in the waters of baptism, where Paul says we die to the old self and we rise in a newness of life so that we could walk according to things of the Spirit, no longer things of the flesh. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song together where you have the opportunity to come forward and make that good decision in your life. And if you haven't yet... I'd like to ask you, why not? Consider, why not? And consider if now is the time that you need to make that decision. Why would you wait? But I want to close with this thought. As we move deeper and deeper into this discussion this morning, of which there is so much more to be discussed, you see how the question has moved from how can I make more time to read the Bible to how could I possibly not make time to read the Bible? How could I possibly not make the Bible a part of who I am every day in my life? Paul Silvio has written a book uh, really aimed at people in the academic world and how they can find more time to write, but he said something that was really profound and stuck with me. He said, you are not going to look at your calendar and discover time as if it is some hidden commodity that you had not noticed before. It's not as if you had previously thought there were 24 hours of the day, and upon closer consideration of your calendar, you find out there's actually 28. Well, now I have more hours that I can read. He also says you can't create time either. You can't find time, and you also can't create time. So saying that we're going to make time is also a misnomer. There's always going to be 24 hours in the day. You can't find it or create more. But the question that we want to get to today is how we're going to choose to spend those hours that we have. And I do believe that the, that the attitudes displayed in how we choose to allot our time every single day will reveal to a large degree how we feel about the God who is the source of the Bible. May we always be like David in the Psalms, especially in Psalm 119. And I want to close with reading verses 33 through 40 of Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. If there's anything that you need this morning, we hope you'll come now as we sing together.